Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of John. It's chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Uh, This Advent season, the season of preparation and expectation as we celebrate the first coming of Jesus and we look again to His second coming, uh, our series, our sermon series, is entitled The Songs of Christmas. We're taking a look at, at different hymns, at different Christmas carols, and we're considering what it is that they have to teach us, what it is that they have to say to us about who Jesus is and what He's come to do and how and why that matters uh, to us. You'll also notice uh, that it says homily and not scripture, and there are people who want to know what a homily is, and many of you will breathe a sigh of relief, uh, because a homily is a short sermon, (laughs) so it's like a sermonette, and so therefore it's called a homily, because I know that people are watching the clock, and with everything we have, uh, it is late in the hour, so it is a homily this morning. Um, If you would, though, give attention as I read from uh, John chapter 1, the first 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name... He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's Word stands forever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do ask that You would meet with us now. You are the living Word, and we ask that You would bring Your written Word to life in our hearts, uh, that we would grab hold of it by faith, and that You would use it for our good. We know that all Scripture is God-breathed, that's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness so that we might be thoroughly equipped, so that we might be whole in every way. And we ask that You would do this even now. And we pray this in Your wonderful name. Amen. When I was uh, a child growing up in Greenville, South Carolina, we lived in a neighborhood where we were able to ride our bikes all around the streets, and we uh, had some buddies that we would kind of go and explore with, and it was a safe area, it was a fun area, and people were friendly. 
Um, and you kind of got to know the people that lived in, in the neighborhood. And there was a, an older man. He was in his 80s, and he would walk very regularly throughout our neighborhood. He would walk down the street, and he would always grab your attention, not just because he was older, but because he was a very sharp, well-dressed man. When he would walk, he would wear a suit, and he would have a cane, and he would have a special hat, and he would walk his dog, and his name was Mr. McCoy. And we got to know Mr. McCoy, and he lived over um, around the corner from where we did, and he uh, had this really wonderful uh, two-story white home. It was, it was beautiful. It was kind of just a really a beautiful home with a fairly large backyard. But one of the things that was interesting about Mr. McCoy is that he was, he was a single man. He, was, he lived alone. He was very warm, and he left his door unlocked. And though this may sound strange, uh, the people that he welcomed in on a daily basis were children, children in middle school, sometimes those in elementary school. And so we would walk around to the back of Mr. McCoy's house and the door would be unlocked and we would open the door and we would walk in and Mr. McCoy would be in there. Now, when you got in his house, it was kind of dusty and he had all these kind of odd collectibles and he had books and he was a writer and he was a man who had accomplished much. But again, he was old and his communication was not really easy for a middle schooler or someone who was younger to really access. But he was glad to have you there. He had this clown and you'd pull a string on the clown. It would make all kinds of noises. And when you'd show up, he always gave you a sucker. Now, of course, today we would say stay away from Mr. McCoy's. But in that day... <laughs> In that day, it was normal and wonderful. Um, and he also, in the backyard, he had this incredible rose garden and a koi pond. Now, Mr. McCoy was a very easygoing guy, and if you really wanted to engage him, and if you wanted to ask him questions about history, then he would get off on a very long, not homily, but very long sermon. Um, and he was even killed. But if you messed with his koi pond... Uh, then there was another side to Mr. McCoy because he didn't like you playing around with his fish. Very protective. But the thing about him is if you were kind of looking at him through the lens of an adult, you would say that this is a very sweet man, this is a very gentle man, this is a very kind man. But you would probably have to say, though you may not broadcast it uh, abroad, but he's a bit odd. I mean, who walks in a suit and who wears a hat and carries a cane and has a dog and lets little people into their home and hands out suckers and has a clown that you pull a string and who, like, who is, a, this is a very odd figure, very warm, very welcoming, and yet a bit eccentric and odd. I think that, you know, if you're really honest and you're really applying your brain to God's word, then I think it's logical to have that same approach to Jesus and to Christmas. I mean, who is Jesus, right? I mean, we're, we're here celebrating the birth of a baby. A baby that we say is God in the flesh. He was born in a stable. He was born to a poor family. He was born to a very young mother. Uh, his father on earth was a carpenter. And we believe that he was the son of God. And so there are all kinds of celebrations that are taking place now and will take place between now and the 25th of December celebrating the arrival of Jesus and making much over Christmas. I mean, think about how all the money that's been spent on Christmas. We just did our annual drive around the Park Cities uh, on Friday night after our dinner at Bubba's and we saw all the lights. And I was 
kind of pulling out my calculator, and I was estimating all the money that must have been spent to keep all the lights on on all these houses. There's an, 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 an incredible amount of money that's spent in order to celebrate Christmas, and yet the question I think perhaps we might have is this. I mean, what is it all about? Is it just a charade? Is it a fairy tale? Is it something that we're just trying to do in order to make ourselves feel better? I mean, who is Jesus? Is he really any different than Mr. McCoy? I mean, isn't it true that people could look at Jesus and think he's a bit of a strange figure? That he's a bit eccentric and perhaps a little bit dusty? And what could he have possibly to do with our lives today? How is he relevant to our world? It's hard to know what to make of him. It's hard to know what to make of Christmas. And yet John helps us on our way. And I just want to draw your attention to a few things because John tells us who Jesus is. He tells us that he is the light of the world. He tells us that he is the living word. He tells us that he is God in the flesh. But here's what I want you to see just briefly that John kind of sears into our hearts and our minds is the first thing that John tells us is where Jesus comes from. He tells us where he comes from. Look in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Where did the Word come from? The Word came from God because the Word was with God. Where was the Word? The Word was with God. The Word left the Father's side. The Word came to earth. The Word has been here since the very beginning. He tells us not only where the Word comes from, but He tells us who He is. See, look in verse 1 again. It says, And the Word was with God, and then it says, And the Word was God. That the Word was God. That is who the Word is. The Word is God. He goes on down and he tells us again in verse 9. He says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. He tells us that the word, Jesus, is the true light. And he says not only is he the true light, but he's also, verse 10, the creator of the world. But then he tells us something more in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That the Word is God in the flesh. That the Word is God coming to earth and making his dwelling among us. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says this, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. But it's even more than that. Look what it says in verse 18. It says, No one has ever seen God, the only God. Have you ever wondered what God is like? Have you ever wondered who He is? Have you ever wondered what it would be like to get to know God? Well, verse 18 tells us, No one has ever seen God, the only God. That's why we wonder. But it says, Who is at the Father's side? He has made Him known. You see, the Word was with God, but who is the Word? The Word is God. The Word is God in the flesh. But the third thing that John tells us is he tells us what Jesus is like. Look at verse 4. In Him, in the Word, in Jesus, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. Look at verse 14. He says, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father. That Jesus is glorious, and what kind of glorious is He? He tells us, full 
of grace and truth. And then skipping down to verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Eugene Peterson says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. The one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. He's glorious. Um, we've had the privilege of going to, as a family, or Kendall and I went the first time, and then Wells and Simeon joined us the second time, but going to Europe and going to Paris, and Kendall... Uh, is an artist and loves museums. And so one of the museums that we visited while we were in Paris is the Rodin Museum. Rodin was a renowned French sculptor, and he has this uh, incredible garden um, that is, I guess, a tribute to his work. And one of the things that's amazing about the garden is that there are all these incredible sculptor, sculptures that you can take a look at and see his handiwork. Uh, some of the sculptures are, are very dark. One of them is actually called the Gates of Hell. And if you look at this Gates of Hell, this sculpture, it, it really grabs your attention because it has these gruesome figures inside of it. And there are people who look like they're in agony and turmoil and just kind of general unrest. And yet what's amazing about these sculptures, and though some of them are very dark, is around the sculptures is this incredible rose garden. There are 2,000 roses, 100 different varieties. And those roses, when we were there, were in bloom, and they really do grab your attention. One of the things that's strange about the roses in Rodin's garden is when you walk up, um, they are all different kinds of colors and all kinds of different aromas and sweetness that you have never, that we don't smell here. But they also, so many of them are like multiple blooms in one rose. There's like three roses in one rose. It's not like three clustered roses. It's there are one rose. But there are these three roses that are blossoming up through it. And when you lean down, and Kendall has a picture while I'm there, leaning down to smell the sweetness, it really overcomes you. And it's this kind of odd mixture of sweet roses and dark sculptures. What does that all have to do with anything that we're talking about this morning? Well, I really think it's actually what John's getting at in this passage. It's the reason that our hymn this morning is, Oh, How a Rose Air Blooming. I want to draw your attention to uh, the fourth stanza. Because this is, in a sense, what I think Rodin puts on display, whether he knew it or not. And what we see in this first chapter of John's Gospel, where it says this about Jesus. This flower, whose fragrance tender with sweetness fills the air, dispels with glorious splendor the darkness everywhere. True man, yet very God. From sin and death, He saves us, enlightens every load. You see, not only do we find out where He comes from and who He is and what He's like, but John also tells us why He comes that He comes to save us from sin and death. He comes to drive the dark away. He comes uh, to lighten every load. How does He do that? How does He do that? How does He save us from sin and death? How does He drive the dark away? How does He lighten every load? 
Well, it's this great exchange that the Bible keeps showing to us over and over and over again. Where there's this, He is our sacrificial substitute, where He takes our place. That Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. How does He give us rest? Because He takes our weariness and our load and our burdens upon Himself. How does He save us from sin? Paul's very clear that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we might be the righteousness of God. He says in Galatians that He became a curse for us. You know, that's how He does it. How does He drive the darkness away? One of the things you'll notice when you read the synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one of the things that all three of those Gospels include about the crucifixion is this one verse, and I'll read it to you from Matthew's. They're all pretty much the same. But this is what it says when Jesus was on the cross. Now from the sixth hour, there was what? There was darkness. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? I was thinking about this. You know, how does he drive the darkness away? Well, the darkness enveloped him. Part of what I was trying to think about is, is that, you know, what's the right language that we can use here? Because we want to be theologically responsible and accurate. And so I think we can say that the darkness enveloped him. Maybe we could say the darkness consumed him. I'm not really sure that that's accurate. But then I thought, well, actually, John's the one who gives us the language that we need because when you looked at the cross, there was darkness all around. But on the cross was who? The light of the world. And look what it says in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the darkness has not overcome it. He was not overcome by the darkness. But He took all of our darkness upon Himself. Why? So that we might know the joy of the one true light. You see, Jesus said this. He said, I have come into the world so that whoever believes in Me may not remain in darkness, but that we might have the light of life. How does He save us? How does He drive the darkness away? How does He lighten every load? Well, I'll draw your attention finally to this. If you would look at the reflection uh, at the beginning of the bulletin on page 2. Perhaps, in my opinion, there is no greater quote about the first advent of Jesus and about who Jesus is than this quote from St. Augustine. It says, Man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that truth might be accused of false witnesses, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die, And we might ask, why all these things? So that we might live. So that our load might be lightened. So that the darkness might be driven away. So that we might be saved from sin and death. And so what's our responsibility? Well, I would simply say this. The one thing I hope you'll hear 
whether you're someone who's already put your faith and trust in Jesus or whether you're not at that point in your life, for both of you, what I would encourage you to do is to rest all of your weight on Him, to run to Him, to hear this good news. He doesn't ask us to to do these dances for Him. He doesn't ask us to impress Him. He doesn't ask us to uh, behave for Him. But rather, what He invites us to do is to come to Him, to be blessed, to come those who are hungry, to come those who are thirsty, to come those who are weary, to come those who sit in darkness, to come those who long for life. Come and find life in Him. But I would also say to those of us who have put our faith in Jesus that we also have another responsibility. And John is the forerunner for this. Verse 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Brothers and sisters, isn't that our privilege and our responsibility to bear witness about the light? Isn't it our privilege not to give people good advice? You know, one of the things I get afraid of at times is uh, you definitely don't want to embarrass anybody, and I don't want everybody to stare when I say this. Um, I don't want to pick on anybody, but you know, you, you, you think of people like what happened this morning and how excited we are with James and Emily Clay and Celia LaCroix and Jake Brunel and Tiffany Altenburn, and you think about these people, and so now they have come to faith, and we're excited about how God is working in their lives, and one of my greatest fears is that we all of a sudden want them uh, to just go AP in Christianity. And when you think about, you know, advanced placement in Christianity, we start thinking about how we all of a sudden turn the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, into this um, treadmill, this workload where we start working for Jesus and we start packing our minds full of all kinds of information and we start impressing people with all of our knowledge and we think that the test of, of maturity of Christianity is how much we know and how much we do and how moral we are. And yet the test case for Christianity is is that the more you grow in Christ, the deeper you grow in your awareness of Him. You see, a true Christian realizes that they're a beggar and that they are a beggar showing other beggars where to find bread. Because what we've been called to do is to bear witness about the light, not to bear witness about ourselves, but to bear witness about Him, not to preach good advice, but to preach good news. And here's the wonder of the good news, that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it.